advancing in the 5th century BC and emanating from ancient Greece, physicians as they entered their medical career took an oath. Does this still guide medical practice in the new paradigm of medically assisted death? The Hippocratic Oath is traced to a greatly respected physician of the day named Hippocrates. It is still an oath taken by young medical graduates as they begin their roles as physicians. A portion of that oath reads as follows. I will apply dietetic measures for the benefit of the sick according to my ability and judgment. I will keep them from harm and injustice. I will neither give a deadly drug to anyone who asked for it, nor will I make a suggestion to this effect. Similarly, I will not give to a woman an abortive remedy. In purity and holiness, I will guard my life and art. While young doctors in various medical schools still take this oath, many governments are passing legislation that would permit, and in some cases require, a doctor to prescribe or administer a treatment that would end a life. Such laws allow or force medical staff to expand their services from assisting the sick to recover to assisting the killing of a patient. There are many who view this service as right, needed by those who are suffering severely and have no hope of recovery. They view it as an act of mercy. Others feel passionately that legalizing a procedure to terminate the lives of the suffering as a devaluation of human life and fear that in the future such can be used to eliminate the need to care for the elderly, the severely disabled, and the vulnerable of society. Who is right? Is assisted death liberating or an impending threat? Stay tuned. In June 2016, the Canadian Parliament passed legislation legalizing a framework that permitted medically assisted dying in Canada. Formerly, any act to assist in the suicide of another or even counseling a person to end their life was prohibited under law. Canada has now joined several other countries in which medically assisted death is allowed, including several U.S. states. While the legislation was strongly supported by advocates, it is only fair to add there were also numerous voices in opposition. Opponents expressed fears that these laws would place the disabled or the other vulnerable people at risk when accessing medical support or treatment. Supporters of the legislation, on the other hand, are quick to point out the need and benefit of this, now legal, approach to end intractable suffering. They will point out that in Canada and most U.S. jurisdictions that have such legislation, assisted death applies to people who are coherent, able to make an informed decision, and are in an advanced stage of a terminal illness where death is foreseeable within six months. Some groups see the restrictions as so comprehensive they feel it is discriminatory against others who for various reasons would also like to pursue an action to end their lives. In Canada, the concerns over safeguards were strongly debated. Justice Smith, 
of the British Columbia Supreme Court in evaluating a case, Carter versus Canada, reached the conclusion that the risks inherent in permitting physician-assisted death can be identified and very substantially minimized through a carefully designed system imposing stringent limits that are scrupulously monitored and enforced. In Canada, in the 1990s, the case of Sue Rodriguez brought the issue to the front pages of newspapers across the land. Miss Rodriguez resided in Victoria, British Columbia. Early in 1991, she received the devastating news that she was afflicted with Lou Gehrig's disease, a motor neuron disease known as ALS, for which there is no known cure. Faced with the prospect of an inevitable decline in health and the gradual loss of her ability to function and breathe, she fought for the right to have a legal assisted suicide under the criminal code, eventually taking the case to the Supreme Court of Canada, but losing in a split decision in the fall of 1993. Miss Rodriguez, a year later, committed suicide with the assistance of an anonymous doctor and in the presence of then Member of Parliament Sven Robinson, who had campaigned unsuccessfully for her cause. The case captured national attention and polarized public opinion, starting a push for legalized assisted suicide that was finally realized in 2016. So now that Canada has legalized the practice, why is there still controversy? This controversy is also present in other nations and states that have similar enabling legislation. So what is the problem? Why is there still resistance to something that appears to provide a valuable and welcome procedure to end suffering? There are disturbing trends noted in some countries where assisted death has been in place for several years. We will cover these concerns in the second part of our program. But now we would like to let you know of a special free offer. An offer that contains information that will help you better decide what you would do or how you might advise a friend or loved one caught in the dilemma of whether they should choose to control the time of their death. If you have not read this booklet, it is time you did, as it contains information that will greatly encourage you. I shall be back in a moment. Don't miss out on this inspiring free booklet. Simply call the number on your screen and ask for your ultimate destiny. You can also order online at twcanada.org. There's no catch, no hidden cost. Here at Tomorrow's World, we believe that knowing the truth of what God has purposed for you can dramatically change your life. Don't delay. Dial the number on your screen or visit us online to get your free copy. If you missed our contact information this time, keep watching and I will be back to give it again. In the first part of our program, we looked at recent legislation permitting assisted dying, which on one hand seems to be a benefit to those who are in great suffering, but yet is of concern to those who fear these new laws may be subject to abuse. We have been assured by governments that safeguards are in place to prevent abuse, including the key measures. There must be informed written consent in consultations with two physicians. Request and consent must be given when in a state of complete mental competence. There must be a suitable time to reconsider 
up to two weeks wherein the patient can change their mind. No physician will be forced to provide this service. The patient is in a grievous state of health with no prospect for recovery. The two witnesses to the request may not be anyone who can profit from the death, either a person who is a beneficiary or the operator of a medical facility. So what is there to fear? Many in society feel the greatest danger of such enabling legislation does not lie at the implementation phase, but in the gradual definition creep, resulting in an inevitable expansion of the eligible victims, such as cases where a person is not mentally aware. Is this a legitimate concern? A CBC report entitled Road to Mercy aired in August of 2017. The intention of the program was to dispel fears that vulnerable people would be put at risk. The report stresses that people who are deemed mentally ill are considered incapable of choosing to end their lives with MAID. It stated, Under Canada's new law, psychological suffering can't be the only reason behind a request for MAID. The report went on to quote the British Columbia Civil Liberties Association report, forbidding medical assistance in dying to competent people who are suffering intolerably from grievous and incurable mental illnesses will violate these people's charter rights, plain and simple. If the Civil Liberties Association is correct, it is only a matter of time before the law is amended and true mental competence may no longer be a criterion. The same report stated that in Belgium and the Netherlands, the right to die rules have been amended and rights are extended to the mentally ill, indicating that even patients suffering from dementia have had the service provided. Even more concerning are rumblings coming from the financial side of healthcare that is already calculating the financial saving to the system that medical-assisted death could contribute. In an article in The Health Reporter, authors Trachtenberg and Mainz of the University of Calgary estimated that the province of Alberta could save about $138 million annually in healthcare expenses. There are fears that financial pressures and the need to act to free up acute care beds in already overcrowded hospitals may provide a tempting motive to loosen the laws. To those who feel that this is not a possibility, one need only look as far as the Netherlands and Belgium to see what happens in cases of definition creep in this matter. Dr. Jay Pereira of the Department of Palliative Care Medicine at the University of Ottawa authored an article providing a warning as to where legalized assisted death can go even within the context of safeguards. His article was published in Current Oncology. He points out that the stringent safeguards that were put in place in the Netherlands have been extensively eroded or reinterpreted or just ignored due to various pressures. He warns if it can happen there, it is just as likely to happen anywhere. He writes, these laws and safeguards are regularly ignored and transgressed in all the jurisdictions and that transgressions are not prosecuted. 
For example, about 900 people annually are administered lethal substances without having given explicit consent. And in one jurisdiction, almost 50% of cases of euthanasia are not reported. These facts represent, as the author indicates, a slippery slope. He explains that in the Netherlands, the initial intent was to limit assisted suicide as a last resort option to the limited population of terminally ill people. And now, some jurisdictions extend the practice to newborns, children, and people with dementia. A terminal illness is no longer a prerequisite. In the Netherlands, euthanasia for anyone over the age of 70 who is tired of living is now being considered. Currently in Canada, assisted death legislation, Bill C-14, only applies to people who are able to make an informed decision and are in an advanced state of terminal illness, where death is foreseeable. It is currently considered an exception in medical practice and may be selected by the patient when other treatments are exhausted. As we have seen, there are continuing pressures from social activists to expand the boundaries of the new law. Eventually, if the person is elderly enough or sick enough, assisted death may be a first option rather than a last resort. We can dress up this new role for healthcare professionals with all manner of softer phraseology. But do we as a society know how this will change our attitudes toward care of the chronically ill, the elderly, and others faced with severe medical situations? In the end, legalized assisted death results in a diminishment of the value and sacred nature of life and reduces the value of a human being, enabling society to eventually rationalize the termination of its elderly, chronically ill, unproductive, or undesirable. This is not society as it was intended to be, which does not treasure human life and the tremendous potential and contribution of mankind, including those who are sick and disabled. There is a better option, an option that derives from knowing the potential of human beings. For human beings are not animals. They are a special creation which was made to achieve an amazing destiny far beyond what most have ever understood. We will show you that potential in the next part of our program. In the meantime, please take time to order our special offer today, Your Ultimate Destiny. This free booklet will show you your real future and give you an understanding that puts aside all questions about the right to die. To request your free copy, call the number displayed on the screen and ask for your ultimate destiny. You can also order online at TWCanada.org. Have you ever asked why does God allow suffering? Is there life after death? Or what it really means to be forgiven? Tomorrow's World Magazine answers those questions and more and will also be sent to you free of charge. Call us right now or visit us online to get your free copy of your ultimate destiny and Tomorrow's World Magazine. Enjoy the rest of today's program. If we are the product of a creator's work, then is there a record of that work? And perhaps a manual left to guide, instruct, and even show us our purpose and potential?
The answer, as we have shown on Tomorrow's World in previous programs, is yes. There is such a record and manual. The Bible is that record. And the only writing that can be proven to be divinely inspired, that text provides many answers the world misses as it has largely repudiated its validity. The answers are there nonetheless. So why were humans made? For what purpose were they made? And how does that purpose inform us as to how we should view assisted death? First of all, man was not just made as another animal. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Man was made not as a member of the plant kind or the animal kind, which were described earlier in this chapter, but man was made in God's image, a physical model of the God kind in his image after his likeness. Man was given a mind and a special power in the mind that enables reasoning and speech, great awareness and learning capacity far beyond other creatures. Mankind was made to be different. We also know from other scriptures that God also made millions of angelic beings of greater power and intellect than man and endowed with immortality. Yet man was made to have a greater potential than that of the angels. For you have made him a little lower than the angels and you have crowned him with glory and honor. Man was made in a physical form, lower than the angels, yet angels were made to serve man, to help him achieve a great potential. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? The Bible speaks of a change for mankind, for those who successfully develop the character that God is looking for man to attain character that we are directed to achieve in the scriptures. The Bible has a great deal to say about this character that causes us to eventually think as God thinks. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint. Character is the attribute of knowing right and wrong and having the will, strength, and desire to choose what is right. Of course, the difference between right and wrong is only determined by God, and that too is revealed in the pages of the Bible. For those who develop this character, great potential and responsibility await. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. 
These promises clearly show that man has great potential if he seriously builds good moral character as defined by the Word of God. Now, how does this impact the question of ending one's life through assisted death? There is a story in the Bible many find difficult to understand, which exemplifies the great value God places on character and how he sometimes works with those he deeply loves to give them opportunities to perfect their character. It is the story of Job, a great and decent man who was extremely wealthy and powerful and served God faithfully. But there was something he lacked. He really needed to know how little he was compared to his maker and how much he really had to depend upon God. Thus God allowed great and severe trials to come upon Job, not to punish him, but to develop him into the person God wanted him to be. In the course of these terrible trials, Job's wife was pained to see her husband suffer, being covered in boils as well as mourning the loss of all they had had. So in her sorrow for Job, she made a suggestion in Job chapter 2 verse 9. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God, and shall we not accept adversity? In all of this, Job did not sin with his lips. Job's wife was basically telling him to kill himself, and she likely would have got someone to assist if he had complied. But Job, even in his pain and sorrow, trusted that God was doing this for a reason. The story ends with Job gaining an understanding he would never have had without that trial, and he went on to enjoy many more years of success and happiness. He became richer in character. Sometimes at the end of our lives, we are at our weakest and humbled by circumstance, often very difficult regardless of our wealth. It is the final trial we face, and facing it well with dignity and courage, asking God for direction and help, results in the greatest wealth of all, a wealth that will outlast any physical suffering we may endure, a perfected character. The book of Romans calls us the children of God and references God as our Father and Jesus Christ as our brother. It means this relationship quite literally. That is why David makes a stunning statement in Psalms referring to the time of his coming resurrection from the dead. As for me, I will see your face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. He states that when he rises in the resurrection, he, and by extension we, will have the appearance and composition of God. John says the same thing in 1 John 3, 2. The gospel Jesus Christ brought teaches us that we are called to be a very part of the God family. That is what Christ and the Apostles teach in the pages of the Bible. That is why we just do not have the right to choose when we die, because we are His creation and He wants to work with us until we become the way He wishes us to be. The reward is great power, glory and eternal happiness. 
Choosing suicide intervenes in that plan and interferes with the achievement of the awesome potential. To understand this even more thoroughly, please write or call for our free booklet, Your Ultimate Destiny. And stay tuned after today's program for Tomorrow's World Answers, where we answer questions straight from the Bible. Be sure to join Gerald Weston, Wallace Smith, Michael Haycoop, and me each week as we strive to bring you real answers to the issues and challenges facing this nation today and the inspiring truth of tomorrow's world. To learn more about today's topic, visit TWCanada.org. You can also order by calling us at 1-866-784-7895 or by writing to us at Tomorrow's World, P.O. Box 409, Mississauga, Ontario, L5M 0P6. You will also receive a free subscription to Tomorrow's World magazine, revealing God's principles for leading an abundant and happy life while providing insight into future and current events. Welcome to Tomorrow's World Answers, where we answer your questions straight from the Bible. Follow along in your own Bible and read for yourself what it has to say. Today's question is, what are angels? You have likely heard someone speaking fondly of a deceased loved one, referring to them as an angel currently watching over them. The Bible leaves no doubt the fact that angels are real, and we should turn to it to discover their origin. Let's begin in the book of Job, where the passage most Bible commentaries agree pictures a host of angels celebrating the moment of creation. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth, when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? When Adam and Eve were removed from the Garden of Eden, cherubim were placed at the boundary of the garden to prevent Adam and Eve from returning. These examples occurred before any human being had ever died. These angels could not have once been people. Matthew 22 and verse 30 gives us more information. Here Jesus states, For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels of God in heaven. This would have been a prime opportunity to say that they will be angels, but that is not what Christ said. He used the term like to show that they are similar, not that they are the same. The book of Hebrews reveals to us our status relative to the angels, both now and in the future. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you take care of him? You have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, and set him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. Most marginal references explain that the term a little lower than the angels is meant to convey for a little while lower. This is confirmed by using the same wording to describe Jesus Christ in verse 9. While many take comfort in picturing their deceased loved ones as angels, the truth is far greater. We have been made for a little while lower than the angels, but with the opportunity, subsequent to a resurrection of the dead, to be crowned with glory and honor and to have all things under our feet, as stated in Hebrews. If you would like to submit a question for the show, please email us at the address shown on the screen. 
To watch every edition of Tomorrow's World Answers, visit us online at TWCanada.org or search Tomorrow's World Answers on YouTube. At our website, you can also watch this and many more Tomorrow's World programs. Call 1-866-784-7895. Write or visit us online today. This program is a production of The Living Church of God.